Now, there are many great things about growing up in this country. I love the UAE. But I must say, there is one thing that I feel I have been deprived of growing up here in this country. And that is the opportunity to get to meet old people. Have you met many old people? Please don't look around. <laughs> when I mean old, I mean people who are well past their 90s, people who are getting ready to die, people who are preparing to meet death. Due to the laws of this country, there are very few people here who live past the age of 65. Now, as was mentioned, um, I, even though I grew up here, my parents are originally from India, and I would say they are from the best part of India, Kerala. I'm just kidding. Um, but every year, one of the things I look forward to every summer was the trip that my family would take uh, to go back to India to visit our relations there. And even as a young child, one of the things that I was most fascinated by was to meet people who were preparing to die, people who were on their deathbeds, people that had just a few months left to live. And I was always curious to know what was it like for them what was going on in their hearts and minds as they were preparing to die. What mattered most to them? Now, the section of scripture that we are going to look at this morning is from 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 9 to 22. And in this section, we will see Paul, the apostle, also preparing for his death. As Paul is writing these words, he is in a Roman prison, and we don't know how long he has left to live, but he is going to be executed for the sake of the gospel. And so, as far as we know, these are the very last words that Paul has written for us. Now, we'll read the section in a moment. But from a cursory glance of this passage, you will see why this is such an unusual passage to preach, especially for a guest preacher to preach. It feels like it's the end after the end. It feels like the credits that roll after the movie. So Paul really talks about a lot of people that were important to him in his life. He lists lots of names in this passage. He tells Timothy to bring him some things that he wants before he dies. And from a cursory glance, that's all that there seems to be in this passage. But as I was studying this, I must confess, I realized what I had missed when I first read it. What we have here in this section of the letter to Timothy, the second Timothy, is a unique passage. Paul gets very personal here in this section of his letter. And we are allowed into the heart of Paul. And there are three things that we will particularly take note of that is going on in Paul's heart as he prepares to die. And the three things are, we will take note of Paul's joys, Paul's sorrows, and Paul's hope as he prepares to die. Paul's joys, Paul's sorrows, Paul's hope as he prepares to die. So please turn with me in your Bibles 
to 2 Timothy chapter 4, 9 to 22. Paul writes, Do your best to come to me soon. For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia. Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas, also the books, and above all, the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposed our message. At my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed, and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet Prisca and Aquila, the household of Anesiphorus. Erastus remained at Corinth, and I left Trophimus, who was ill at Miletus. Do your best to come before winter. Eubulus sends greetings to you, as to Pudens, Linus, Claudia, and all the brothers. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. You know, one of the greatest joys that we can experience as Christians in this side of eternity is the joy of Christian fellowship. It's one of the sweetest gifts that our Lord has given us as we make our way into the heavenly kingdom. Now, this was a tough time for Paul, maybe the toughest he's ever faced in his life. Paul has come so far, and he has endured much for the sake of the gospel. Paul has lived a faithful life, and he can see the price that is awaiting him on the other side. So the verse before this passage, he says he can see his crown of righteousness that is awaiting him on the other side. More than anything else, what mattered most to Paul was to finish well. He wanted to end well. But it doesn't mean it's easy, even for the Apostle Paul. And really, as we read this section, we get the sense that Paul is lonely. He feels alone. So in light of that, he insists in this section of his letter to Timothy for Timothy to come and be with him soon. He says in verse 9, do your best to come to me soon. We should read this as a desperate plea that Paul is making to Timothy. Timothy, come quickly. I am alone. I need help. Now, at this point, Timothy was in Ephesus, and he was helping lead the church there. But the journey that Paul was asking Timothy to make from Ephesus to Rome was one that was very difficult. Not to mention, quite dangerous for Timothy just being to be associated with Paul. But if we should understand why Paul longed to see Timothy, we need to understand a little bit about their relationship with one another. Timothy was like a son to Paul. In fact, twice in this letter, just this letter alone, Paul refers to him as my child. 
And once he calls him, my beloved child. This was a relationship that was deepened by Paul's care for Timothy. Paul cared for Timothy's soul, and he did that so well. And by God's grace, we have two letters to show us how Paul has cared so well for Timothy. If you have a chance to read this letter, there are many things that you can learn about what it means to care for your brother or your sister in Christ. So some of the things that we learn in this letter is how Paul teaches Timothy to be a faithful minister, handling God's word rightly. He taught Timothy to persevere in his faith. And he told him that there is going to be suffering that is going to come on account of the gospel. He prepared Timothy for his departure from this world by charging him to do ministry in light of the appearing of the Lord who is going to come to judge the living and the dead. Paul taught Timothy to guard the gospel of Jesus and to be aware, beware of false teachers that are coming up in the church. And Paul holds his own life to Timothy as an example for Timothy to follow. Paul tells Timothy, this is what it looks like to live a faithful life as a Christian. Friends, I would encourage you, if you have some time this week, to take some time to read the letter to 2 Timothy. There is much that we can learn there about what it means to live a faithful Christian life. But Paul's not done. There are still things that Paul wants to tell Timothy, and he wants to see him one last time. When we think about Paul's love for Timothy, we are reminded of how Jesus loved his disciples. Like Paul, Jesus too loved his disciples to the very end. And that is what Timothy, that's what Paul is doing for Timothy here. So we read in John chapter 13, before Jesus was about to be crucified, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the very end. Paul was like Jesus in the way he loved Timothy. And friends, here we have a beautiful picture of what a Christian discipleship relationship looks like. How to care for each other as Christians. It is more than just a casual hello on Friday mornings. It is more than just attending Bible studies once a week together, although those are great things to do. But the model that Scripture lays out for us as to what a relationship should be like is that it is a lifelong friendship that is centered around the gospel of Jesus, where there is deep affection, where there is regular prayer for each other, where there is lots of joy talking about God's word and applying God's word to each other's lives, where there is much experiences that are shared of doing ministry together. This is what Paul's relationship with Timothy was like. Friends, and let me tell you, when the Lord does provide people like this in your life, you will know it to be one of the greatest joys that you've experienced ever in your life. I'm so grateful to the Lord that he has provided a few people like this in my life. One person that comes to my mind as I was preparing the sermon is a dear brother from Nigeria whose name is Fountain Abani. I met Fountain several years ago when he was just a freshman student in his university. He was not a believer then. But we spent a lot of time talking about the gospel. He was over at my home a lot, 
We spent a lot of time driving around Dubai talking about various things. He became like one of my best friends. And we had great memories together. But I'll never forget the day when he came and told me that he has finally decided to follow Jesus in his life. And since then, I have seen the Lord dramatically change his life. He's bold with the gospel of Jesus. He meets with people from all kinds of backgrounds to share the gospel with them. I'm so grateful to the Lord for Fountain in my life. Fountain's like my brother. He's like Timothy to me. Now I know, I'm sure, there are many of you here who have this experience here at this church as well. People who care for you and people you care for spiritually. People you meet up with regularly to encourage, to pray for one another. And I want to urge you to continue to do that because it is the model that scripture has laid out for us as to how to live as a Christian. But I don't want to assume. I want to say if you are here and you're reading this section, and you feel like this is not the experience that you have right now, that you do not have anyone to disciple you or meet up with you to study the Bible with you, well, I want to encourage you to look for people around you in this church. The local church is the best place to look for these sort of relationships. I'm sure there would be several people here who would be excited to meet up with you, to study God's word with you, to share their lives with you. This is what, part of what it means to be a Christian. And it is the means by which we can persevere in our Christian life and persevere till the end. If the Apostle Paul and Timothy needed it, we need it too. Paul and Timothy's relationship was not only mutually edifying for one another, but it was also edifying for the church. Think of what has come out of their relationship with one another. Churches all around the world have grown because of Paul's investment in Timothy's life. Even today, here we are, benefiting from Paul's discipling Timothy. Let your discipling relationships multiply ministry. Have that in view when you meet up with someone to study the Bible. It is as each one of us pursues another in studying God's word together that the whole church is built up. And amazing things can happen through that. Naturally, Paul longed to be with Timothy. But Timothy was not the only one that was on Paul's mind at this point. There were other people as well that Paul loved and longed to be with. And he names them here in this section of the letter. But for various reasons, it seems that they are all away. I think one of the most interesting people that Paul has mentioned in this passage is Mark. Mark, who wrote the Gospel of Mark. He mentions him in verse 11. The reason I say it's interesting is because when Paul was on his first missionary journey, he took Mark, John Mark, with him. But for some reason, we don't really know why, Mark left Paul in Pamphylia and went home. All we know is that Paul was deeply hurt by what Mark did. So much so that when they set out for their second missionary journey, Paul did not want to take Mark with him at all. Barnabas did. And the dispute between Paul and Barnabas over Mark was so sharp that Paul took Silas and went one way, and Barnabas took Mark and went another. But how wonderful it is to see at the end of Paul's life that there has been reconciliation 
And today we know the Lord has done amazing things through the life of John Mark. He has written the gospel of Mark for us. Mark was indispensable to Paul. That he told him to bring, told Timothy to bring Mark because he's useful to him for ministry. We are also told about a few other people, but again, they seem to be away. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Paul tells us. Titus has gone to Dalmatia. Tychicus was sent by him to Ephesus, probably to deliver this letter. They were all Paul's co-workers, but again, they all seem to be away. There is one person, though, that is with Paul at this time, and that is Luke. The man who wrote the Gospel of Luke and Acts. Luke was a faithful friend to Paul, probably helped Paul write this. He was with him through thick and thin. So even though Paul was not alone by himself, you get the sense that he really longs for the company of these fellow brothers, people that he's been doing ministry with. He has made such a big impact on their lives and they on his that he longed to be with him in these final few moments before he dies. Friends, I want to ask you, are there people who would count you dear because of your partnership in the gospel with them? Do you live your life in such a way that when you leave this place, your Christian brothers and sisters would feel a loss? Do you live in a way that you are making an impact for the gospel in the lives of others? I think these are important questions for us to consider, especially here, because we live in such a transient city. People come here for very short periods of time, and they leave. Do you live this way, even if it means just for a few years? Paul had a lot of people that he wished was with him during this time. But the absence of these people only made his longing for Timothy grow even more. Paul knew he could count on Timothy, that if he asked Timothy, Timothy would come. Now, not only did he want Timothy to come, but he also tells us that he wants Timothy to bring him certain things. It's interesting the things that Paul asks for. There are things that we can learn from the things that Paul asks for, these might be the only possessions that Paul had at this point of time in his life. Or at least, these were the only things that he cared for. So Paul asked Timothy to bring him his cloak in verse 13. And we are told later that it was going to get cold because winter is coming. Paul is a giant, spiritually speaking, but here he is also a human. And he was not afraid to admit that. Paul then asked Timothy to bring him his books and above all his parchments. Why did he want his books? You can imagine someone who was with Paul at this point of time saying, Paul, you're at the end of your life. You're about to meet Jesus very soon. Why don't you just take it easy? Relax. Paul may have been at the end of his life. He was close to death, but he was not ready to retire spiritually. Charles Spurgeon comments on this. He says, even an apostle must read. Paul was inspired. He has been preaching at least for 30 years. He has seen the Lord. He had a wider experience than most men. He had been caught up in the third heaven. He had written the major part of the New Testament. And yet, he wants books. Paul wanted to read he wanted to continue to think about God, even in these final moments in his life. But he also asks 
for his parchments. Very likely, this was scripture that Paul had during those days. You see, for Paul, any moment not meditating on the glories of Christ was a wasted moment in his life. We get the sense that he's so delighted in God's word that he couldn't live without it, but more importantly, he couldn't die without it. And this is an important word for us today. And in our culture, where reading is considered as just a hobby, something is optional. And unfortunately, that has also crept into the way we think about reading God's word. But if we are to take what the Bible says about God's word seriously, which is that it is God-breathed, and it is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that we may be complete, equipped for every good work, then we are to take Paul's example seriously. See, Paul wasn't doing anything new at this point in his life. He's continuing to do the things that he's always done. Reading, learning, studying God's word. And so should we. Ministers of God's word should be lifelong students of God's word. Well, if all goes well, and Paul's wish would come true, in a matter of few months, Timothy, Luke, Mark, and Paul would be together, pouring over God's word, enjoying fellowship with one another. This is what Paul needed to end well. This was the joy that he was looking for, the joy of Christian fellowship around God's word. That's what we need to end well as well. Even though there were many joys in Paul's life, there were also things that brought sadness to him much sorrow. And from this section, we learn that Paul carried much sorrow into his death. Let's consider that now, Paul's sorrow. You see, a Christian life is not just a bed of roses. Suffering is a standard part of the Christian experience. Jesus taught that anyone who chooses to follow him, there will be persecution. Now, Paul has experienced suffering. And he's written about this elsewhere. So if you want to read about it, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 11, 24 to 28. And Paul had marks on his body to show that he had suffered for Christ, suffered for the gospel. Paul knew suffering, and he knew the kind of suffering that comes only on account of the gospel, which is why he could write in chapter 3, verse 12, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted. It was from his personal experience, you know. Even in Rome, at this point of his life, he recounts the persecution that he has experienced here. So he tells us about Alexander the coppersmith in verse 14, who he says has done Paul great harm and has opposed the gospel message. Now, we don't know very much about this man, except that he was in a position to do Paul great harm and do much harm to the gospel. You see, Paul's life was so intricately connected with the gospel that any harm done to the gospel would mean harm done to Paul's life as well. Really, he was doing what he had asked Timothy to do earlier on in 2 Timothy, to guard the good deposit entrusted to them. Paul guarded the gospel with his own life. He counted the purity of the gospel and pre preserving that more precious than his own life itself. It's very likely that Alexander was the reason 
while Paul was imprisoned and about to be executed at this point. But Paul doesn't go light on people like Alexander who are out to do harm, harm to the gospel message. He names him in this section of the letter. So Christians can be wary and Timothy can be careful. And he prays that the Lord would repay Alexander for what he has done. Grace Church, I want to encourage you. Guard the gospel with your lives. Guard it for the sake of others who have not heard it in the city. Guard it for the sake of the future generations that are going to be part of this church. And pray for your pastor and the leaders in this church that they would call out false teachers for you and guard the gospel that way so that they would keep you from being led astray. I suspect Paul had much persecution in his life, even at this point, much physical suffering. But I think the greatest sorrow that Paul faced, carried into his death, was not his physical suffering. I think he was kind of used to it at this point of time. But like his joys, his greatest sorrows also had to do with the people who were near and dear to him. Disappointments and discouragements in ministry are common. But the most painful ones are from the ones who are going to be close to you. If you live long enough as a Christian, you will know. For Paul, the fact that other Christians deserted him at his time of greatest need was maybe the hardest thing he would have to face at this point in his life. He tells us about one of them, Demas, in verse 10. He says, Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. You can feel the pain in his tone as he's writing this. Who's Demas? We learn from Philemon, verse 24, that Demas was one of Paul's co-workers. Demas was no different than Mark and Luke to Paul. Demas had been through much suffering with Paul. He was part of Paul's inner circle of friends. <coughs> Brothers and sisters, even people in ministry can walk away from faith in Christ. I remember many years ago, I was discipling a university student who was a brilliant student very passionate about Jesus. He was winsome and compelling when he talked about the gospel with his friends. And over time, we became really close friends as we did much ministry together. But then one day, and I have no reason why, I, I don't know why, he decided to stop calling himself a Christian. And he decided to stop associating himself with any Christians in his life, including me, even though we were best friends. This was a very difficult experience for me and for others who were deeply involved with him. Friends, only time can tell who is really genuinely a Christian and who is not. I suspect that man had never truly repented of his sin and trusted in Jesus for forgiveness. So what we want to look for is not just a profession of faith. What we want to look for is long-term fruit. What we want to encourage and pray for is endurance in the Christian life. Now, it is not really clear, to be fair, what has exactly happened with Demas. To be fair, we don't have any indication in this text 
that Demas has actually left the faith and that he has left Christ. All we know is that Demas has left Paul because he was in love with the present world. You see, for Demas, even though he'd been through much with Paul, I think the situation in Rome was just too much for him. Paul was going to die for sure. And instead of accompanying Paul into the lion's mouth, Demas packed his bags, left for Thessalonica because he was in love with the present world. He abandoned Paul. As one author puts it, Demas gave into the short-sighted temptation to love the present world more than Christ's appearing. To love the present world more than Christ's appearing. And therein lies the warning for all of us. You see, every Christian is in danger of being like Demas, is in danger of loving this world rather than Christ, to seek the temporal pressures that this world has to offer us rather than the eternal joy that can be found in Christ alone. And friends, I wonder if many of us are like Demas, that maybe we too love what this present world has to offer us. It's comfort, security, convenience, that we are willing to follow Jesus, but only really up to a certain point, only as long as it is convenient for us. And I don't think there is a single one of us in this room that can say that we are not tempted by the lure of comfort, especially in this place, including me. But we need to examine ourselves to see if we have truly counted the cost of following Jesus. And maybe as you're reading this, you might be thinking, well, how do I know? How do I know if I'm like Demas? How do I know if I am in love with the present world or not? Well, one way to know is to consider your daily life and the decisions that you make daily, especially those decisions where you need to stand up for Christ, stand up for the gospel. Do you find yourself frequently making compromises either to protect your security, your comfort, or maybe your reputation? Let me encourage us that we should strive to be faithful in these small decisions, to follow Jesus, so that if he calls us to do something harder, we will be prepared and that we will be like Paul and not like Demas. Oh, how I pray that we will not be like Demas. That not only will we be willing to endure suffering, no matter what that suffering is that comes on account of the gospel, that we would be known to stand with others who are also suffering for the sake of the gospel. Brothers and sisters, there is nothing more encouraging for a believer who is going through suffering than to know that there are other believers standing with him during that time. I remember a few years ago, after a friend, a dear friend, Yuna, was arrested in a nearby country. He was released but the believers in his country refused to accept him back into their community because they were so afraid of the consequences of being associated with him. But when he was released, he came to Dubai. And the first people that he met were Christians from our church who embraced him and prayed for him. And Yuna says, even, even today as he shares that story, he has tears in his eyes when he says how much that encouraged him to know that there were Christians here who loved him and were willing to be with him through his suffering. Friends, again, there is nothing more encouraging for a believer than to know that there are other believers that will stand with them through their suffering because of the gospel. And at the same time, 
there is nothing more painful than to have to go to suffering all by yourself. For Paul, this was the most difficult thing, to go through suffering all by himself. And he tells us Demas left him. But it wasn't just Demas. He tells us in verse 16 that all deserted him during his first defense. Who's that? That's everybody in the church of Rome. Nobody stood with him during his defense before they sentenced him for his execution. But look at Paul's response. He says, may it not be charged against them. Paul was abandoned. He was left all alone. But he prayed that God would forgive these Christians for what they had done. What a remarkable attitude. How like Jesus Paul is at this point in his life. There was no bitterness in Paul's heart for what they had done. And I think the sign that he had loved them is what we find towards the end of our passage. And I think he names some of these people who are in the church of Rome at this point of time who probably did not stand with Paul during his sentencing. So he tells us about Eubulus, Pudens, Linus, Claudia, and all the brothers. And writing their names was a way to assure them of his love for them, a way to tell Timothy of his continuing relationship with these Christians who were still in the church of Rome. Paul loved these people. Even though they hurt him, he forgave them and he cared for them deeply. Friends, I wonder if some of you here are holding back from going into deep relationships with other believers because you're afraid of experiencing this kind of pain, the kind of hurt that other Christians can cause you. And maybe you've experienced hurt from other Christians. Maybe you have been wounded by your brothers and sisters in Christ. And maybe there are some people you find hard to forgive. And over the years, you may have developed bitterness for them. And if that is you, I want to say, I completely understand what you feel. But we should expect, as we come to the church of God, to be hurt by other Christians, even other Christians, because we are all sinners, deeply flawed, and in desperate need of God's grace to transform us. And if, if it weren't for God's grace, we wouldn't be part of the same family. But if God has treated them with mercy and grace and has extended forgiveness to them through the shed blood of Jesus on the cross, who are we to hold their sin against them? And we should remember, God did not treat us as we deserve for our sins. He forgave us. He lavished his grace on us. And so should we on others. So I encourage you, brothers and sisters, invest deeply in relationships in the church and be ready to be hurt. Be ready to forgive, reconcile, work towards unity because there will be plenty of opportunities to do so and Christ will be glorified through that. Paul had much sorrow and we can feel it as he's writing this section. But it did not take away the hope that Paul had as he looked forward to his death. So let's consider that now, Paul's hope. Even when everyone abandoned Paul, the Lord never left his side. He says in verse 17, the Lord stood by me 
and strengthen me, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. Can you think of a better motivation to share the gospel in the face of opposition? To become aware of the presence and power of God in our lives, to proclaim the gospel, I think, is one of the greatest motivations we have to tell people about Jesus. It can remove all our fears from our hearts. So what do you fear when you think of talking to your family or your friends about Jesus? Do you fear rejection, shame, persecution? Now think what difference would it make to your witness if you realized the presence and power of God in your life to proclaim the gospel to them. I think you would be bold in talking about Jesus. Every time God presents us an opportunity to talk about Jesus is another opportunity to experience the presence and power of God in our lives. Paul was being tried in the official center of Rome. You must imagine the scene. He did not shrink back from fear. He was face to face with his death. And he would have powerfully proclaimed the gospel to the Roman authorities because he decided that all Gentiles, all kinds of Gentiles, would hear it. It must have been an awesome sight to see Paul proclaiming the gospel there in the face of opposition. Paul would have told them that they were in rebellion against God. Paul would have explained to them that Christ has once and for all abolished death and brought life and immortality into this world. That Christ had, did, has done that through his death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead to reconcile sinners to God. And he would have told them, it is not because of our good works toward God, but because of God's mercy toward us. And Paul would have called them to repent of their sin and turn to Jesus for forgiveness. Friends, and that is the message we need to hear today for ourselves as well. We all have rebelled against God. We all need this forgiveness that Christ alone can offer us through faith in Him alone. And I want to say, if you are new here, and this is the first time you are hearing this, or maybe you've been coming here for a while, but have not yet experienced this forgiveness that the Bible talks about, I want to encourage you to consider what is there in store for you in Christ. And I want to encourage you to talk to someone here today to know more about how you can experience the salvation that Jesus alone can offer. Preaching this message in Rome could not have been popular for Paul. But Paul was not one to shy away from persecution. It's because Paul was confident of God's rescue. Not from pain, persecution, or death. But he was confident, more importantly, that God would rescue him from every evil deed that would seek to undermine his faith, his courage, or cause him to lapse into disastrous sin. Paul was confident, no matter what, that God would bring him safely home into his heavenly kingdom. Grace Church, you can be confident that this will happen in your lives as well. No matter what, God will bring you home. But it is through persecution, suffering, and death, not apart from it. Some of us may be delivered into the lion's mouth because of Jesus. For others, it might be death by a thousand cuts. But in any case, as we endure till the end, 
we can be confident that like Paul, that our Lord will be faithful in our lives and he will bring us safely home. This was the great hope that Paul had. This is the great hope we have, the greatest hope we can have. In the course of following Jesus, we may be abandoned, we may be harmed, we may even be killed, but nothing, nothing can touch the hope that we have that Christ will take us home. As we come to a close in this letter, I think this is an amazing passage. But as I was reading it, I was struck by something. And that is the similarity between this passage and a psalm, Psalm 22. As I was reading Psalm 22, I noticed how similar the language is between the last words of Paul and the psalm. So in verse 11 of Psalm 22, the psalmist says that there is no one to help him, which is just like Paul's experience here. Everyone has deserted him. And in verse 21, the psalmist prays, rescue me from the mouth of the lion, which is similar to how Paul talks about God's deliverance in his life. And then at the end of the psalm, the psalmist says in verse 27, his, his prayer is that all the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord which is similar to Paul's desire that all the Gentiles might hear the gospel. But what is striking is that this psalm, Psalm 22, was what Jesus was meditating on the cross while he was being crucified. It was on Jesus' mind. And if you were to study the psalm, you would see great details about the death of Jesus on the cross. It is mentioned with great clarity. And I think the point is this, that as Paul approaches death in this moment of his life, I think he is just like Jesus. That Paul's greatest desire was that Christ would shine through his life clearly, that he would become like Jesus in every way. And as we read this section, the very last words of Paul, I think that's what we see. More than anything else, Jesus stands out to us. In this section, there is one difference between the psalm and this section. And that is the very first verse of Psalm 22. The verse that Jesus quotes on the cross, which is, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You see, Paul never prayed that prayer. Jesus, like Paul, was deserted by his disciples. But unlike Paul, Jesus was also deserted by his father. You see, Paul was confident that the Lord would never forsake him and would receive him into his kingdom because, the Lord because God forsake, forsook Jesus on the cross. It is because the father abandoned Christ on the cross when he took our wrath on himself that Paul could be confident that God would receive him home. Friends, and that is why we can hope in the same hope as well, that God will never forsake us. He will deliver us home because Jesus was forsaken on the cross. So we too can be confident, like Paul, that God will bring us home. The world with all its suffering is passing away, but what we have awaiting us is an eternity of glory in the presence of Christ. I want to leave you with these words which is a huge encouragement for, for me, from one of my favorite hymns, 
The hymn is called, Jesus, I, my cross have taken. And the last verse goes like this. The hymn writer says, Soon shall close thy earthly mission. Soon shall pass thy pilgrim days. Hope shall change to glad fruition. Faith to sight. Prayer to praise. Let's pray. God, we thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you for the encouragement that we receive as Christians to endure this Christian life with all its suffering, with all its sorrow. Lord, the encouragement that we have, the hope that we have, is that Christ will receive us home. Father, we thank you, Lord, that that is a sure and confident hope that everyone who is in Christ can know right now. We pray that that would transform the way we live our lives here in this world. That we would be bold to proclaim the gospel to those that do not know you. And that we would faithfully endure till the very end. We thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to consider this passage. And to pray to you that you would make us like Jesus. Which was Paul's greatest desire for his life as well. Pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.